This is Terrio Media. Success in real estate has nothing to do with shiny objects. It has everything to do with mastering the basics. The three pillars of real estate investing. Attract, convert, exit. Matt Terrio has been helping real estate investors do just that for more than a decade now. If you want to make money in real estate, keep listening. If you want it faster, visit reiace.com. Here's Matt. All righty, so welcome back to the Epic Real Estate Investing Show. Uh, really glad to have you back. Really grateful for you. Uh, 10 years plus running, and it's all because of you sharing with your friends and your family. Thank you for doing that. Um, I just, I love that about you. This is such a good audience and a, it's such a good community that we've built here. And uh, I appreciate you. And for those of you that are finding us for the very first time, really glad that you did find us. And I just want you to know that we are here seven days a week. So go ahead and hit the subscribe button if you like what you hear today. So you never miss a juicy episode. You know, we had a conversation a, a few days ago with um, Mr. Rob Swanson from Freedom Soft. And he's just a wealth of information. I had so much more to talk about, but that could have easily turned into a three or four hour episode if we kept on going. So I <laughs> asked him to come back. So Rob, welcome back. Matt, thank you for having me. I love it. Yeah, totally. So we, one subject or, or topic that we were kind of bouncing around all over the place from the last episode was the, the subject of cash flow. Yep. And, uh, you know, I don't know why. And, and this is why I really wanted you back and why like, I'm kind of gravitating towards you is that there's so few of us that actually are proponents of cash flow, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's people that, oh, yeah, cash flow, that's good, that's good. Yeah, and they all kind of agree, but no one is like, you know, adamant about it. And that's the main focus. Yeah. Because it's really, you know, you buy a house and, and you cash flow, it's kind of a boring thing, right? Right. I think it's Warren Buffett. He said that the best investing is boring investing. And, um, you know, the, the big people, the, the big movement out there, it's all on wholesaling. It's all on fixing and flipping. It's on the TV shows and stuff like that. And, you know, for 10 years, I've been just talking about cash flow going totally against the grain and it felt out like I'm going on a little Island all out here by myself. And, uh, slowly but surely, I mean, there's me and Kiyosaki, right? Yep. <laughs> uh, there's Chris Crone, who, who's a big cash flow guy. Yep. Um, who else do I have? Ro- uh, Mark, Ro- Mark Ferguson or Robert Ferguson. He's a big rental guy. Yeah. Mark Ferguson. He's, uh, he's about an hour and a half North of me up in Greeley. Okay. Oh, so yep. you're in Denver. Yep. Okay. Yep. Perfect. And then, uh, and then you, and then my friend Jay Massey. And so, yep. but still that's like five or six of us <laughs> when there's hundreds of flipper gurus out there. Right. Yep. That's um, it. What's your position or, or what's your testimony and to uh, illustrate the uh, power of cash flow and why everyone should pursue it? Oh, man. Um, I could take that question in a lot of directions, but here's the direction that I will take it. If people can figure out how to build cash flow in such a way that they either one, don't need to bring their own capital to the table or two, have some of their own capital and can learn how to recycle their capital. Mm-hmm. You can build stability in your life. You can build financial freedom. You can buy your time by doing the boring thing today mm-hmm. and setting yourself up. I call it the, the entrepreneurs or the real estate investors income trap. And so let me explain this. And 
if you had a piece of paper in front of you, Matt, I would tell you to draw a vertical line up and down, and I would tell you to draw a horizontal line right through the middle of it to create four quadrants. Got it. Yep, do it as I'm telling this to you. In the upper left quadrant, I want you to write a T. In the upper right quadrant, I want you to write an R. In the lower left, I want you to write an A. And in the lower right, I want you to write a P. So they stand for transactional, residual, mm-hmm. active, and passive. Okay. So the two, the two on the top, transactional or residual, is the frequency at which you get paid. Transactional, you get paid one time. Right. Residual, you get paid over and over and over again. The two on the bottom, active and passive, represent the effort that it takes to get paid. You either have to actively work or you don't. Mm-hmm. Passive, active and passive. And so the kind of income that you want, what you want to get to is a RP income, a residual passive income, something mm-hmm. that's paying you on a recurring frequent basis that you don't have to work for. And the reality is, Matt, we always, even in rentals, right? We manage the managers. It's not work-free. Passive doesn't mean work-free. Right. Passive means it's less work than active, right? I would Somebody's say got, passive income doesn't mean uninvolved income. That's right. I, I love it. I, yeah, I'm going to borrow that. I like that. Yes, sure. um, that's a great way to say it. Um, and so the trap, most people fall into this trap of transactional active income, TA income. <laughs> and I was there, right? I got into this business. I discovered wholesaling. I was like, oh man, this is this works. It's pretty easy money. I, I can do this consistently. And I, I went all in on wholesaling. And at the same time, early on, I built a portfolio of 35-ish or so houses. I sold them out before the crash in 2007. But I realized I wasn't a very good landlord. I didn't enjoy it. Like I just didn't enjoy the management side of it. And so I ended up gravitating towards that transactional active income because I liked it. It was high margin. It was low, pretty low effort. I had to do work. But one day I woke up and I said to myself, man, I've been doing this business for a decade. And there was a time where I had all these real estate. I sold it off. Now, if I want to bring it home and eat it, I got to go out and kill it every single time. And like the light bulb went on. And I said, I got to get back to residual and passive income. And so, you know, everything that I do in business today tries to lend itself in that direction. I've got uh, eight criteria. I'm just going to tell you the top couple of them. Um, But when I think about a business direction, I think about, is it simple? Can I build a system? And is it scalable? Then is it high margin? Is it low risk? And does it generate cash flow? Those are my top six things. The last two, I'll just throw them in there, is what's the headache factor? And does it create the lifestyle that I want? Those are my eight. Mm-hmm. And so the, the trap that I even got stuck in personally early was transactional active income. Everything I do today, Matt, is about cash flow. Yep, yep. Yeah, the, it's certainly a trap. Because it's seductive. Because when, when you're oh. flipping houses in the transactional style of active income, right? Yep. It's, uh, you know, it could be good chunks of money. I mean, yep. a few houses a year, you're making what more than what the median household income is yep. 
in a year. I mean, if you do a few houses a month, you're making more than what most people make in a year. Yep. And so that's really seductive. Well, and let me let me give you something, and I think you've heard me speak um, on this at an event before. But so I had that aha light bulb moment, right? And and I and I went back all in on on cash flow, and I said, "This is the thing that I want: cash flow, cash flow, cash flow." Well, I had no idea that that decision and that like absolute dedication to cash flow was basically going to save my family. And I'll tell you what the story is. I was, uh, I've always been an athlete. I've always been an endurance athlete. And so I was training for ultra marathons. I was running ultra marathons, trail running, like mountain running. And so I would, I was trained up to run a hundred mile ultra marathon. And I went to the dentist and this was October of 2014. I went to the dentist and I got a MRSA staph infection from the dentist and it went in, went in my mouth, traveled over the next month down my entire GI tract and just built a trail of MRSA resistant to antibodies, uh, antibiotics, Mm -hmm. staph infection. And I went from the epitome of health to, I couldn't function. Like I literally was so sick, I couldn't function throughout the day. I got so sick, in fact, that I basically stopped working from about the middle of 2015 for about two and a half or three years to the middle of about 2018. And I was in so much pain and my brain was so foggy. I couldn't think right. I couldn't, like, I couldn't really run my business. And so, you know what I did? I did nothing. I rode cash flow. I just rode the cash flow. And fortunately, I had had that epiphany a few years earlier, went all in. If you like our last conversation, I think we talked about, you know, when I get like fixated on something, I just pursue it until I accomplish the goal. Mm -hmm. And cash flow was one of those things that I got fixated on and I pursued it until I accomplished the goal, having zero idea. I was in the peak of health, right? Mm -hmm. I had no idea that my health and my business was going to be basically, nobody asked me if they could take my business or my health away, but it just happened one day. And fortunately, the cash flow is what allowed my family and I to never really miss a beat and maintain our lifestyle. And here I am. It puts a whole new perspective on it, right? Oh man. When I talk to people about cat, that's why I'm so passionate about it. It's why it's why you and I connect because I am passionate about what cash flow can do for people. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever done this. You're an engineer, so maybe you have, Uh, but you know, you lay out side by side the path of flipping houses to your financial freedom and then the path of holding houses to your financial freedom is as boring as holding houses is it's about six times faster your actual financial independence it just starts off a little slower on those first few transactions so it doesn't feel like it but boy when they start to pass all of a sudden you know you've got that residual passive income where you don't have to go out and kill anymore right that's right that's it and if you want to but you don't have to and that's a huge distinction that is the distinction, right? You can, but mm-hmm. you don't have to. Yep. That's awesome. It doesn't mean flipping houses is bad. Not at all. But if your goal is financial freedom, all you're doing is prolonging your journey, thinking you're getting closer. Yep. And it's That's just, it. it's so counterintuitive. And, uh, because here's what, here's what people do, right? They say, well, I'm going to go flip houses to get the capital to go buy and hold. 
Right. Right. And someday I'm going to graduate to, to the buy and hold and I'm going to build wealth. Well, guess what happens? They, they start flipping houses and it take, you know, they plan it that it's going to take them 90 days and this one takes 120 and the next one takes 180. And this one, they thought they were going to make 50,000 on, but they only made 12. And, you know, like, so this whole plan this projected plan. And I, and I flipped hundreds of houses. So don't hear that I'm saying that it's a bad strategy. Mm-hmm. But what I'm saying is to build, to Matt's point, is to build wealth and create cash flow, thinking that flipping houses is going to give you the capital to do it. I have not seen that work out very many times successfully for people. So what I always tell people is, go figure out with the resources that you have available today, how to start buying immediately. Don't wait to figure out how to go increase your resources. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We get the applications over here, online applications for our, our REI ACE program. And one of the things I ask is just, you know, what's your goal is one question and, and or what do you want out of real estate? And the next question is something like, uh, what's your biggest obstacle in getting there? Mm. And, and yeah. The dominant answer, you could probably guess what it is. It's lack of capital, lack of funding. Right. And yep. I'm just like, no, it's not. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, like you're so wrong. But you know, some people right. are just so entrenched in that. Um, yep. yeah, where it really shifted for me, it shifted for me when uh, you had said last episode you're talking about uh, the old crotchety guys that have mm-hmm. been around, they've been through the multiple crashes, they're telling you exactly what to do. You called it your big thirty million dollar mistake, right? Yep. Um I remember there was this funny how you have these monumental moments and someone just says one thing and it just changes your life forever. But there was this guy at a RIA club and I was fairly new to investing and he was on stage being interviewed and uh, I don't know, I would say 85, 90 years old. Like he was <laughs> there. Yeah. And he, he, he made his fortune weirdly on what most investors consider a big no-no, but on one bedroom, one bath apartments. Hmm. And uh, he just figured out his niche and he just crushed. And, and someone raised their hand from the audience asked, what's your biggest regret? Or if you had to do it all over again, what would you do? And he said, without hesitation, I wish I would have bought more and sold less. Mm-hmm. And it was like, yep. he's 85 years old. He can't go back and change that. Right. That's right. That's and, right. Uh, so I was just like, okay, that's, you got to buy, you got to hold, got to hold, got to hold. And, um, doesn't mean you have to, you know, it's, yeah. Anyway, cash flow. <laughs> I just kind of want to always make a case for that and, and find different perspectives and different angles. Um, I, I remember you sharing that story and I don't know how this element or this detail of your story escaped me and I forgot about this. All I remember was, oh, he was sick and cash flow saved him. See how great cash flow is? But um, <laughs> last May, my, my mother actually passed away from MRSA mm. and uh, it was a staph infection and the she went through the whole cycle of antibiotics and just mm. nothing changed. So I can empathize with uh, what you, what you went through. So glad you're yeah. still Oh man, I'm sorry to hear that. That's uh, that's yeah. It was a scary time from a health perspective, having never had a health issue mm-hmm. ever. Mm-hmm. And then this coming out of nowhere and yep. you just, you just never know. You just never yep. know. My mom, she'd had a five, this was her fifth hip replacement. Hmm. Um, she had, she got started getting them when she was much younger and they wear out, they have a lifespan. So they have yep. to get replaced yep. in a, just a dirty hospital on that very last hmm. normal procedure, very standard on the darn near an outpatient procedure these days. Wow. Uh, just went sideways. All right. 
let's see. Um, questions I had for you from last time because I wanted to get back to them. Yeah. And uh, let's see. Off the side of the cash flow, the wholesaling, we kind of covered all that. All right, so let's do this. This is fun. What's the biggest mistake you've made in the last 12 months and what'd you learn from it? Oh, goodness. What's the biggest mistake I made in the last 12 months? I think, so we franchised our business about two years ago or so. The real estate business? The, the, the real estate investing business. Yep. So legal franchise, we, we could franchise um, as we were building it out in, in all 50 states because I like cash flow, right? And, and a franchise, a franchisor, it's cash flow. Right. Um, my other cash flow businesses are, you know, real estate, uh, software, and and a few other things. But they're all cash flow, and they're all predominantly dependent on my knowledge, my execution, and the team around me. But me helping my internal team execute. Mm-hmm. Our franchise was my income from the franchise was dependent on independent business owners executing. And I think my biggest mistake was I believed that a person that would buy and invest in a franchise was different than a coaching student in as much as they would put in the effort mm-hmm. and do the work. Because we, Matt, we had it laid out. We did all the lead generation for them. We taught them our scripts. We had the KPIs. Like it was a legit full-on franchise with a three and a half inch franchise manual, all online, all digital access. Like if you wanted to know how to do X, Y, Z, you could Google, you could type it into our little search and boom, it would pop up in the whole process map of how to do it was there, right? We gave everything. And I believed that, I believed that a franchise owner would treat the business differently than just a coaching student and that they would go pursue and have success. I was wrong. And so, um, what I learned and and my biggest mistake was letting, realizing, or I guess building that franchise business in such a way that someone else's success directly impacted whether I made any money or not. And so, uh, that was the mistake. And so, um, I don't think it was a mistake for us to franchise and I don't think it was a mistake for the, the way we built it. It was a mistake in my mental understanding of whether somebody was going to put in the work, mm-hmm. and uh, and so what I what I like today is, you know, I I don't actively manage my real estate portfolio. I manage the manager, but that's that's my effort mm-hmm. managing somebody else to produce that result and me buying right. Right, it's my brain that knows what am I buying and and how am I buying. Um, in the software business, it's my execution to know how are we going to sell our software? What features do we need? Are we listening to our customers? So it's me executing with my team. The franchise was the different, mm-hmm. the different animal. Got it. That's a good one. That's a good yeah, one. Yeah, I, I don't, I'll bet you didn't think that I was going to go that way. And I really didn't know where I was going to go either when you first asked me that. But I do think that's my biggest yeah. lesson learned. Yeah, it's uh, there's one thing I said. It, it's okay to delegate, just don't abdicate, right? Yeah, that's and, right. Uh, and it's led me down so many paths with, with property managers of all people and contractors that yep. I'm just like, real estate. That's the easy part. That's the safe part. It's yes. the people that are the risky part, right? Oh, oh, brother! <laughs> Creating <laughs> we- duplication of yourself <laughs> into others is is a challenge for sure. 
It's hard. It's hard for sure. All right. So conversely, what's the biggest win you've had in the last 12 months and what did you learn from it? Yeah. Um, I think the biggest win that I had was uh, a win around focus. And I tend to be a very type A dominant personality that I'm a very high executor, like I can execute at a high level. Mm -hmm. Um, And that sometimes is a, that's not trying to pat my own back, but it's just kind of giving perspective for when I see something, I look at that and say, I can do that. That's Mm -hmm. easy. Mm -hmm. And, and so sometimes I tend to spread myself too thin because I can do it. But what happens when you spread yourself too thin just because you can do it doesn't mean that you should do it. And I think one of the biggest personal development areas that I've grown in in the last 12 months is the ability to just say no and the ability to really prioritize and organize my focus in such a way to produce the highest results that, that I want out of the effort that I put in. And so... Yeah, it's uh, it w- for me. It was getting really clear on you know what I'm I'm focused on two things, and that is I'm continuing to build my conservative cash flow rental portfolio in price stable markets, and I'm focused on building uh, Freedom Soft and our software company because both of those two things generate cash flow. Mm-hmm. Nice, that was good. What's the best book you've read in the last twelve months, and what did you find most valuable about it? Um, man, I read, I read a lot of books. Um, but what's fun, but here's, what's funny about that. If you look at my Kindle, you're going to see a lot of half written books or 25% written books. And then you're going to see 25% read 20, 25% read. Uh Um, and then you're going to see some that are like, I read a hundred percent. I read the whole thing. So I'm going to pull up my Kindle and I'm going to tell you because I'm going to look at it. Because I don't always remember. Oh, you know, this is one that I really liked. It goes into um, the same concepts of, well, I guess real estate investors can apply this in their business, but it's called the talent code. Mm. And um, it's called the talent code by Daniel Coyle. Um, It's the talent code. Greatness isn't born, it's grown. And here's how. Mm. And so what it does is it talks about, you know, the 10,000 hours to become an expert in something. And it looks at, you know, the world's number one cellist and it looks at the world's top tennis player. It looks at the world's top in from sports to music, to business, to whatever. And it draws parallels to how did they think? What do they do? Where's their focus? You know, is it genetically wired? You know, all of these things. And, And the conclusion is, Anybody can become the best at the thing they want to become the best at Mm -hmm. if they put in the effort and make the decision and then focus on doing it. Nice. It's a great book, The Talent Code. Very good. Something we touched on last time, and I was headed down a certain path, but then we went off on and got to start talking about something else. But we're talking about investing virtually. Yeah, And we talked about the competition in the market and you just got to change your mindset because it just doesn't exist and how to beat the competition. Yep. Um, but you do invest virtually and so do I. Uh, yep. What do you say is, are the key ingredients to actually making virtual investing work? 
Um, n- number one, I would say um, just understanding where we are in the market cycle. So if I'm going to break this down off the cuff, right, um, in, into, into some elements, number one, understand where we are in the market cycle so that you can pick a market. Number two, pick a market that is conducive to that point in the market cycle, meaning right now we're on the upper side of the market swing. And so I would pick a price stable market, boom, bust, price stable. In the crash, in the bottom of the crash, go invest in boom, bust markets and ride it back up. But in at the top of the market where we are today, buy in a price stable market. So I like to understand where we are in the market cycle. I like to understand what type of market I'm investing in. Then I like to look at supply and demand. And I like to look at the activity in the market. So I always tell people this, if you can figure out who's buying, what they're buying, where they're buying, and what price they're paying, you can reverse engineer how they're making money. And so I like to go into a market and I created a market ranking algorithm a few years ago. And it's basically, I call it the true rank market ranking system. And it ranks markets from a supply and demand standpoint into five different categories of, of market from kind of oversupplied to um, uh, highly competitive. And then in the middle, you've got this sweet spot where there's enough inventory. And this is why this is important. There's enough inventory and enough investors, absentee owners, buying that you can see that somebody's consistently making money there. Because I like to pick a market that has, a. if I'm going to pick between a competitive market or an oversupplied market, I'm going to hesitate or, or hedge towards the oversupply because I want to know that I can go into that market and get a deal today. I don't want to go into that market and then have to work my butt off for the next 90 days or four months or half a year to get a deal. I want to know that I've picked a market that I can go in and execute today and find that buy box, that minimum uh, deal criteria that you talk about. Mm -hmm. I want to know that I can go find that today. So we look at the supply and demand of the market, and then we look at the rent to price ratios. Because I can get a pretty good quick overview if I do some market analysis and say, okay, and I'll just hire Matt, a a virtual assistant. Mm -hmm. um, And I'll have a virtual assistant go into that market and I'll have them go to like realtor.com and sort the go grab maybe up to a hundred thousand dollars. I'll have them go build me a little spreadsheet of every property that's for sale up to a hundred thousand dollars. And that could be, you know, 50 or it could be 500. I don't care. It's going to take them, you know, maybe an eight hour day, maybe two eight hour days. I might spend 50, 60 bucks to get that information. But then I'm also going to have them go and take every one of those properties and I'm going to have them go and comp the rents. Tell me what this will rent for. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and you could be in a market where maybe you go over $100,000 too. It just depends on the market. I tend to be in lower priced markets. So that's typically my ceiling. Um, and then I'll get the rents for every single one. And then I'll organize this data by zip code and I'll run my price to rent ratio and I'll see if my price to rent ratio, can I buy, if even if I don't get a discount, mm-hmm. can I buy it at a price today that the rents are high enough to produce my target buy box and get me, say, like in a C-class neighborhood, 
a 12 cap, a capitalization rate of 12. And I get it. Some of your listeners might be saying, yeah, but Rob, that's a cap rate isn't for residential real estate. That's okay. Yeah, you're exactly right. It's not, but guess what? Everybody understands it when you talk about it. So, so I talk about it in that way because it's really easy math to run mm -hmm. and it does give you some framework to talk about. So when I like to, when I like to buy into 12 or in uh, C grade working class neighborhoods, I like to operate my cash flow, my portfolio at a 12 cap. So I usually like to buy at a 15 or a 16 cap so that when I refinance, I can operate at a 12 and stick several thousand dollars in my pocket. Got it. Got it. Okay. So that's how you select the market, how you analyze the market. Yep. That's, the, that's the strategy that you're going to implement. Yep. Uh, operationally, what would that look like? Yeah. Oh, that's where I think I was on number four. Number five is you got to then build your team. So right. number, you know, the first four, figure out those things. And then five, you got to build your team. And so when, when I go into a new market and build my team, you know, I'm going to set my guys on that market because I want to cherry pick deals out of it. Uh, but I'm also going to call all the local wholesalers and mm -hmm. I'm going to call all of the property management companies. And I'm going to call the hard money lenders and I'm going to go pull a list and look at, okay, in the last six months, where are all the absentee owned purchases happening? And mm -hmm. you're going to find three to five zip codes or areas where most of the absentee groupings happen. Mm -hmm. And it's in those areas. Like I'm a big believer, Matt, that I don't have to recreate the wheel and I don't have to figure out how to build the wheel all I have to do is find the guy who's already got the wheel and go ride with him, right? <laughs> so I just look at where, where are the investors already buying? And then I start asking the wholesalers and the property managers and the hard money lenders about those areas. And I take local perspective with a grain of salt because there's a city that I buy a lot in, I own real estate in, and the locals in this particular area are absolutely adamant against this little area that I like to buy in. They think it's a D minus on the verge of war zone, like horrible, horrible, horrible. Mm -hmm. And it's because five years ago, grandma got shot on the front desk and the whole local news was like, this whole area is bad, bad, bad. Well, I really figured out it was really one event that like, change the thought process. And also all of the locals ignore this area, but guess what? It's the one neighborhood in the area where there are no city taxes. Mm -hmm. And so all of a sudden I've got this cash flow in this area because number one, the local guys don't want to buy there. So I don't have the competition. And number two, there's no city taxes. So my cash flow is better. Like everything about it works in my favor. It's one of my favorite places to buy. Awesome. Awesome. So who come, who makes up your team? What team members would you have at the minimum? Yeah. So I've got a, uh, here, here in the office, I've mm -hmm. got kind of a, a general manager, um, a guy that I part, usually partner with that, that runs my team. I've got mm -hmm. a few acquisitions guys, both in the office and they work some remote virtually around mm -hmm. the country. My team on the ground is, is exactly that. Mostly it's my property manager, and a handyman, a handyman that can handle a little bit beyond just handyman stuff, meaning I want them to be able to go in and handle a, a six to $8,000 rehab 
maybe mm-hmm. a ten to twelve thousand dollar rehab, uh, but also be willing to handle my handyman work. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, property manager, contractor, um, and then for me, a good wholesaler um, mm-hmm. that will just send me deals on a regular basis, give me a quick first shot at it, and I'll cherry pick the ones I want, and I don't string them along. I'll tell them I like it or I don't. Nice, nice. Rob, what's in your future that you are most excited about? Um, so my, uh, my grandpa and my dad were both pilots. Mm-hmm. Uh, my grandpa was a World War II fighter pilot in the Pacific off of an aircraft carrier. Um, man, what that guy did piloting-wise, unbelievable. Um, my dad was a pilot, again, just a private pilot, not commercial. Um, and back when my dad and I used to fly, like we had paper charts and, you know, we didn't have fancy headsets. Like it was hard to talk to each other and, you know, pens and like all this stuff on the paper and trying to figure out where we're going and what's the, you know, what's the radio frequencies and all this stuff. And so this last year, um, I was at a mastermind in, uh, it would have been October of 2018. And I was sitting talking with a guy that we both know, a buddy of ours. And, uh, he had flown his plane down to this mastermind. And I'm like, Oh man, that's really cool. I used to fly with my dad and my grandpa a lot. And, and I said, I've always wanted to get my, uh, my pilot's license. And he looks at me deadpan across the the table over lunch. And he says, no, you haven't. And I'm like, yeah, I have. And he goes, no, you haven't. If you actually wanted to do it, you would have done it by now. He goes, it's a lie that you keep telling yourself that you've always wanted to get your pilot's license, but you've never really wanted to get it or you would have done it. It's like, oh, you sucker, man. <laughs> Kicking the gut. I, I did. It was. So I, I stood up. I walked out into the hall. I called back. We were in Charleston, South Carolina. I called back to the local airport. That's There's two of them four miles from my house. I called the smaller one. I talked to the flight school. I said, book me my first lesson. So I booked my first lesson at that moment. It took me 10 months to get my, uh, my certificate. So I got it in 2019. And I have been flying a ton ever since. And I am most now excited about, I've been taking it slow because I want to buy the right plane. Uh And what I mean by that is I can go, I can go rent a plane and I can go own a plane for about the same cost if I fly a hundred to 120 hours a year. Mm -hmm. And so I'm in no hurry to buy a plane. So I've been renting different planes and just seeing what I like. Because my wife and I are almost empty nesters. I've got a, a junior in high school who's pretty independent. He's got a job. He's, he's independent. He's doing his thing. And so my wife and I are excited to buy a plane and just go travel around the country by plane and do cool stuff. Sweet. That's, that's, that's what I'm excited about. And yeah. that's what cash flow produces. Amen to that. You know, you said something in there I think is, it might be a, a good lesson to, to end on. Um, as you got that kick in the gut... And then uh, we can go ahead and kick the audience here in the gut in a second. But, <laughs> yeah. uh, I got kicked in the gut in a very similar way. I shared an office with a guy. And uh, I don't know if you know him, Jay Massey. And uh, I know who he is. I don't, know, yeah. I don't know him personally, but I know who he is. Yeah, we started the exact same time together, shared an office together. And, and you know, we've both done, accomplished great things. But there was a time where I was coming to the office and, you know, I, I'm this kind of guy, like I always got the, the health shake and, and, and I'm always going to the gym. And, and I remember I was going through this frustrated thing of uh, just that the weight wasn't coming off me. And I was like, just kind of complaining about everything. He goes, 
And one day he just said, Matt, you know what? You know why you haven't lost any weight? And I said, why? And he says, because it's just not that important to you. And I was just like, how could you say that? This is all I obsess with and think about. And he goes, well, you just had a cheeseburger yesterday that can't be that important to you. And I was like, right. Wow. (laughs) So I always think about that. And for anyone else that wants to try that on and just see how it fits, if there's anything in your life that you want or you say you want, you don't have, it's just not that important to you. That's it. It goes back to what I think what we talked about in our last, uh, the last episode, trying to remember back, but I think we talked about the why. And I think I mentioned that, you know, talking about the quote unquote, why is a little bit cliche, right? Mm -hmm. But this, that's what we're talking about. This is it right here. We didn't want it bad enough until somebody slapped us upside the head, you and me. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden we realized, you know what? They're exactly right. And, and I have to evaluate, do I want it bad enough to change yes. what my habits are or yep. do I not really care? Because if I don't really care, then I should just stop talking like I care or I have to go do something different and take an action towards it. Yeah. That was the same conversation I had with me. It's like, I, I, <laughs> I had with myself it was just like, how could you say that? And then I started thinking, I was like, yeah, maybe he's right. Yep. Like maybe I don't want it bad enough. And yep. just that alone, like took some stress off. Like, okay, so now you get to choose. Are you going to pursue it? Or are you just going to let it, leave it alone? That's right. And it was such a freeing experience when I had that introspection process going on. But uh, yeah, if uh, you're not crushing it in real estate, I'm a firm believer. It's just because you don't want it bad enough. You know, I, I, 100%. I just moved to a market and then Las Vegas and I moved from LA. So I've been here about eight months. And we've been really busy. We've got a, a few new ventures going on and, and endeavors that were, has taken up a lot of our time. But I was kind of excited to come here because you don't get this opportunity to have this, to conduct this type of quote unquote experiment very often. But um, I had two clients here that uh, did not succeed and they quit. And in fact, the only person that ever came back to me and asked in 10 years that asked for a refund was from here in Las Vegas. Hmm. And, um, it just said it doesn't work here. It doesn't work here. It doesn't work here. And so I was hell bent. I'm going to go make it work there. You yeah. know? And just in my spare time, it's about six, seven months now, just in my spare time, I've gotten three new rentals here, right? Yes. With, with seller financing. And, yep. and then I borrowed the down payment from somebody else just to prove that I didn't need any money to do it. Right. Right. And uh, that whole point was you just don't want it bad enough. Right? Yeah. Totally. That's it. And, you know, I've got a guy um, in my office here. He's, he's been a part of my mastermind. He's a, he's a local guy here in Denver. We've known of each other for years. Um, he came to an event I did. He ended up in my mastermind. We became friends. Um, we've got kind of a jujitsu background, you know, both of us together. He's way better at jujitsu than I am, but like he's a brown belt and I'm a white belt, right? But we had this grappling connection and, and, and we had this, this cash flow connection. And, and so, I brought him into the office. He's, he's got an office down the hall here from me in our, in our suite. And um, he is running our mobile home park acquisitions and mobile home park operations. So, um, you know, we're buying, but here's how we're doing it, Matt. We're buying them all, no money down, owner financing. Like we're doing the thing where, you know, I can go buy a, a rental, no money down, or I can go buy a 110 unit um, mobile home park, no money down. Mm-hmm. Same exact deal and it's just yeah. it's awesome that's yeah. accelerated cash flow right it's it's really fun stuff yeah coincidentally my, my friend jay mass he had a great saying and we can end with this um he says it's never a money problem it's just an idea problem absolutely
right? Absolutely. Super. So coming up shortly, we're going to have you back again, Rob, because I enjoy talking to you so much. But uh, you've got a book coming out called Cash In. Yep. Uh, what to do before, during, and after the next market crash. Yep. And uh, last last time you had said you'd given uh, access to go and just download a couple copies, get a sneak peek. Yep. And is that robswanson.com, still the right domain? That's it. All right. Perfect. Robswanson.com. Perfect. Well, awesome. Rob, it's been a pleasure. And uh, when your book is ready, give me a call and we'll have you right back on. We'll talk, go into deeply, uh, into the deep details of your book. Okay. Awesome, man. Appreciate it, Matt. You bet, Rob. Take care. See ya. All righty. So that's it for today. God bless to your success. I'm Matt Terrio, living Yo. the dream. Yeah, yeah, we got the cash flow. Huh. Yeah, yeah, we got the cash flow. Yeah, yeah, we got the cash flow. You didn't know, homeboy, we got the cash flow. 